0: Um, First I want to say that your talk last night and this morning was really, it really resonated with me and it was very, very useful Um, and it got me very excited. Um, Just seeing or hearing how my art practice and my meditation practice can feed each other because I know that for a long time I've been buying into this version of what meditation or the Buddhist path looks like and, and, and that version. Um, so that's good. Um, and I feel like the, the kind of the world of the, the senses is kind of taken care of for me. Um, for as long as I can remember, I've always had a yearning, a really deep yearning to connect with something, we'll call it divine. And I was not raised religiously at all, so it didn't have a particular form that it took. Um, and it kind of evolved over the years. And when I was an adult, I had some kind of mystical experiences that I, like I misinterpreted. I kind of kind of interpreted them as, let's say, kind of Buddhism 101, about all things are connected, and I had some synchronistic experiences. And then when I learned about emptiness, I was like, my God, I knew it, I knew it. It just seemed to all make sense. And I just developed this passion for experiencing the unfabricated. Um, and I know that it can slip into craving sometimes, but in our meeting yesterday, you mentioned to me that um, you don't have to meditate. And you know that because of my physical limitations, I don't think that I'm not going to be able to meditate, but I know that I'm going to to kind of try different things and be flexible. So I'm wondering, can you have, and like you were saying, well, you don't have to meditate to become enlightened, but what does enlightenment look like if you're not sitting on the cushion in terms of can you have an experience of the unfabricated or like I know I've heard all these stories about, you know, there's a monk and then, you know, you met the Buddha and Buddha said this and he instantly became enlightened. What does that mean? You know, is it the same thing as having a cessation experience or is it something else? Is it something different for everybody? I would think not to a certain extent. There's a certain knowledge that...
1: You game, right? I'm done. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, let me see if I if I can get it. um I wanna know that I'm I just wanna know
0: that i moving in the right direction. I don't want to go off and, like, you know, think, oh, well, I could just, you know, do this, and then that's not really a good direction to go in, and I'm not expecting you to tell me what direction, but I need to know that
1: mm. um,
0: I can kind of get where I want to go.
1: You can. <laughs> um, uh, um, I'm just trying to sum- summarize that uh, it, is the basic question just given what's happening physically right now and with health etc that and and you feel like long meditation sessions and, and frequent meditation sessions are not are not within the capabilities of the body right now um, is it still possible to get enlightened and is that kind of enlightenment i might get without long and frequent meditation the same kind of enlightenment as as uh...
0: the phrase you use the beyond
1: that's that's okay. very okay that, that resonates with me so can i can i experience the beyond um... yes <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm I i i I'm, I'm uh, I don't get it. when did, when you're not
0: meditating.
1: Ne- yeah, I so thank you I did not I d I didn't I don't recall saying to you you don't need to meditate. No. Uh, no. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I I thought that's gonna be Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I <laughs> I what I did say was um, meditation might not look like what you have a picture of. So, if if someone asks me what is meditation, what is insight meditation, etc., um, people give all kinds of descriptions and, and this and that, and it's this, you know, and then they think it's a certain posture or a certain this or that, or concentration or a great deal of still, you know, whatever. To me, it's just, um, you know, in a nutshell, uh, practicing a flex- flexibility of ways of looking, um, and seeing what comes out of that flexibility of ways of looking and an understanding, come, or understandings come out of that that have to do with um, well, with all kinds of things, but primarily emptiness. That doesn't have to look a certain way. So to make a distinction between meditation, you know, on retreat, on the cushion, etc., and not, I, I feel that's over overdone. That.
0: What about like, walking meditation? <coughs> Can you become enlightened during the session of walking meditation?
1: A- absolutely. I mean, if you look at the suttas and all that, there's loads of stories of that. Yeah, yeah, so there's... this is a, To me, it's a strange... There's a hierarchy, first of all, between the four postures. <coughs> <coughs> sitting, standing... You know, sitting... I don't know what order most people put them in, but sitting's usually the, the best one, <laughs> apparently. Um, you, you know, it's like this is all... I mean, if we just take the Buddha right now, there's four postures, there's four postures. And even in the division between retreat and not retreat, and, you know, long meditation sessions, long meditation retreats can be really fruitful, but they're not, um, it might not be where a person's, um, most transformative insights and liberations come, you know, and, um... I have spent a lot of time on retreat and long, you know, all this and that. But even if I look back at that, I I wouldn't pinpoint the the long times or the long sessions or all of this as the times that, you know, I I just don't, I don't think it stacks up that way. I don't think that bears, um, you know, bears up to scrutiny, really. Uh, We have these ideas, you know, and I I shared with Suzanne, you know, when I was, I think I was like 21 or something, and I was on retreat at IMS, and I had all this Crazy energy stuff happened, and, and the teacher asked me sit. First of all, sit at the back of the room because uh, you're disturbing people. <laughs> so, um, uh, and so I sat at the back of the room. You're still disturbing people, etc. Um, go, you know, go away. <laughs> and I was sat over the other side of the courtyard, outside of the meditation <laughs> room, in my room by myself, etc. And eventually asked me to leave. And uh, I was twenty-one. I was living in a foreign country. I was so passionate about the path, so I so wanted enlightenment and awakening. And I remember after he said, "You know, it's better for you to leave. You, you're going to hurt yourself. You need a certain thing." He recommended, and um, and I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. And I told you the story, you know. And I walked up that road. Uh, uh, I, was, uh, I was like, "How am I going to get enlightened now?" You know, and. Um, To me now, looking back, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I really feel for him and that that kind of passion, but it, it it seems like it was, I was naive, you know, just that, that sort of simplicity, if I can't do long retreats, then I won't get in line, if I can't sit a long time still, um, so. I guess I had this, this, you know, because I started just getting into
0: this jhana practice and then. And trying not to be attached to that but also thinking you know, less
1: and less fabrication like that's how it's going to happen and through the jhana practice yeah um, I, not necessarily okay. you know that's one way that things unfold that way I just um, let's see here. and I've had a lot of teachers say to me don't do that or don't meditate
0: I mean, you've heard that, but yeah. if, if, uh, I, if I know that there are ways other than jhana practice, and I know that the thing is that jhana practice is just supposed to get you to a place where you can do insight, right? No. No? No.
1: That, that's the way it's often taught. It's either, either, first thing, I also I just want to put in right now, so I'm... Teachers are important. So right now, we're having this dialogue, and I'm, I'm the teacher, and you're the student. And, and that I really recognize the support of that. Mm. And also, I um, kind of, in this moment, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Partly to do with, like, you know, what is... This is such a big tricky error. What is one's relationship with teachers and outside authority and people who say it's like this and like that? And so, for example, that, that idea about jhana, I mean, there's so much there, but for that, that idea about jhana practice, what you got, in and just talking <coughs> about insight meditation tradition now, jhana was kind of taboo territory for a long time. Then you get certain teachers who begin to teach jhana, and some of them say you need jhana, just like you said, because jhana will sharpen the mind and etc, etc. This is all just Kind of dogma, really. You know, um, jhanas can be really helpful for lots of different reasons to some people, and for others they're just not a big factor on the path. So I don't buy, and I certainly don't buy this thing about sharpening the mind and then you can do insight. I, I just don't buy it at all. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what would what would no, help you.
0: You've you it given me what I needed. I think the problem is, as a teacher, I know that there are a lot of teachers who teach a way of doing things. And one reason that I always love talking to you is because you can kind of encourage me to do what's right for me, whereas a lot of other teachers are saying, no, don't do this. And then I start doubting. You know, but I, I don't want to do that. I want still want to meditate.
1: Yeah. But but again, I would just open up what that word meditate means. You know, if I look back to me when I was twenty one years old, I I um, uh, I had to, uh, well, there was a different thing going on. But there was a period of time when I didn't meditate. You know, and it was I so cared about it, and I and but that period of time and everything that came out of that and everything that I learned and the body work that I did and all that it was so helpful. You know, so I, I'm I'm not a doctor. I I don't know. But I don't think what you're going through is going to last your whole life. It's it's, peri- it's a period, and um, and meditation is more than sitting still and getting the mind to shut up. Um, if it was that, all right, it's it's nice, but you know, um, <laughs> it's, there's so much more. If if you have this broader broader view of what meditation means it doesn't it, it's something much more creative and you know things like insights unfabricated and fading and that and that sort of thing they come it's not so um you know you have to really the person who sits 12 hours straight that's the person it's not like that um you know, and, and the jhana thing as well, sometimes people say, oh, I sat there and I didn't have a thought for, you know, two days or, or something. <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, okay, where's the insight? There's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stack up so... And I'm not saying it's not worth it, but it just it's not like a one-to-one correspondence at all. Um, and, you know, in terms of the unfabricated as well, sometimes, and this is not textbook, but sometimes one has the perfume of that. Even without meditating, you walk... Um, uh, you walk in nature. You walk it's somewhere, or even when you're with someone. There's something we sense. That, that's meditation. What's happening there? The way of looking is opening up. The perception is getting attuned to something. I can't put it into words. I, I, I you know, I can sense it somehow, or beyond sense, or whatever. The, these are the kind of things. They they start working their way into your life. Um, not only do they stack up, but they also bring a certain amount of liberation. So before you've had the experience, as if there is, well, let's believe that, but, um, the, uh, you know, these these things give you a faith that you feel in the marrow of your bones in something like like that, you know? So all of this, all of this, you know? And then and then the last thing is, and I also said this to you the other day, you know, and it relates to what I was, p- partly what I was talking about yesterday and today, is that um, you're going to, I heard what you said at the beginning, but you're going to want a big, fat liberation, not just a deep liberation, you know, you, a wide one, because of the art and because of... Do you, you understand? So, um, it's like how you find your path, create your path, discover, it, is going to have to include all, all that, you know, um, rather than getting too tight around. It. Yeah. So, uh, uh Right now, I'm not sure what else to say, but. You don't need to say anything else. Okay. Um, Okay. So. Your, yes. (coughs) If if I'm squinting, it's because the light is a bit from here to my eyes. But anyway, it's your, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the image is, is about the stopping of time. I don't know, Like it's a poetic image. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, I can see sort of um There's something about it, that I really love it, but um, it doesn't lead to more complicated you know,
1: Yeah, yeah, complicated yeah, yeah sure. It leads to um, um Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. So, Johan's y- describing um, something that seems to be occurring quite regularly with the same image. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an image that has to do with stopping of time and kind of cosmic in terms of galaxies and stars mm-hmm. and things. And there's eros with that image. There's beauty, and 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 uh, is it actually from a line of poetry or is no, it's just, um, just a poetic image? Yeah. yeah. So something is t- touching the poetry of it is touching the soul, and um, is a little bit surprised how sometimes that leads into jhana, or quite frequently in, into jhana. And rather than what I was saying, whenever it was that, imaginal work tends to. Create more complexity and branch off in this and um, this is actually leading into more simplicity, less fabrication, yeah, um, this has actually come up a couple of times in in here. This is really common, so why is it happening i I, I think it happens because when something um, is imaginal uh, it, it, the, the the energy body responds first of all and and comes into some kind of harmony or alignment mm-hmm. or openness or, or or something like that. And if, if the mind sort of, part of the mind gets, cap, or attention gets captivated by that, by that, what's happening in the energy body and, and the kind of harmonization there, it will just go, go into a jhana because focusing on that is a jhanic state. So anytime there's an image, now it, it, did, it doesn't have to be an image of like stopping time or space or some, or some kind of image of stillness. It could, actually it was you, Johan, the other day we were asking about an image of anger. You know, do you remember that so it could even happen with an image of anger you think here's this not not the image you would you were alluding to but maybe some image of some you know stomping monstrous raging <laughs> you know dragon god or something and it's all oh, this fire and and, da, da, da. and the the power of that can um, be felt in the energy where there's a resonance with that um, the anger itself is kind of transmuted alchemically into into whatever it's kind of gold equivalent is so to speak um but the energy body c- kind of starts resonating with that energy and and one can one can one of the options is that it enters jhana so it's like i think i was saying was it yesterday at any point with imaginal practice you can kind of glide in any dy- you, you get to have a little more say sometimes sometimes it just takes you but because of the energy body involvement um it will always there will always be a possibility of samadhi, kinda that of, like you can always lean off into that. At the moment it sounds like it's kinda of happening because that the energy body constellates that and then probably the attention is just getting captivated by it. But but as as you develop it will come more and more a sort of intentional possibility. So you could always just do that, let the image go. You could say very nice energy body stuff, but I'm, I want to go further with the resonances with the image so you don't so, so much go so much into the um, samadhi. And then you can play with the emphasis of attention, like how much attention is on the meaningfulness or the beauty of the poetry of the image, how much is on the energy body, how much is on the emotional impact. You know, with, with time, all this kind of... It's like you, you've, got, you've always got these kind of... Uh, what would be a good image um, analogy? Mm, um, uh, I'm not quite sure. But, um, but you, you've got the sense of being able to lean in multiple <coughs> directions. Also with terms of like how much attention am I giving the image versus how much my own process or, or, or my own self, the way the self is constellating in the imaginal constellation. So you've got, you've got things like self-other world and the eros itself all of which can be imaginably infused, come come alive as image. You understand? Yeah. And then you've also got things like the emotional aspect, the energetic aspect, the samadhi aspect, the image aspect. And, and you can kind of just... Sometimes you're just taken, but into one or other. Um, sometimes you need to rebalance things. I think I alluded to that on. The second uh, night's talk sometimes we're just we're too much in the image or too much with the self or too much like the self needs to come alive imaginally. it's all over there the divinity for it. so there's all, there's all these options Some, sometimes it's kind of um, you, you're you balancing things so that there can be more steadiness and equanimity and fertility <coughs> with the image and sometimes you're just making a choice out of curiosity and sometimes you're just taken one way or another but um, so I'm asking I'm answering more than you're asking but does this do you get yeah. A sense of what what can evolve here, um, so not at all uncommon. Not at all uncommon. Um, I mean, it also happens with not imaginal things. So sometimes one one way people kickstart um, a jhana or samadhi is just by remembering something that brought happiness, uh, for instance, and then that happiness infuses the being, and then there's just a gentle sort of inclining the mind to that happiness. Um, so and and sort of getting into the happiness and letting it suffuse, and for some people that's a way into jhana. You know, So it's it's a little bit similar to that as well, but that's yeah. not so imaginable. So
2: mm. the image just falls away, right? You know, after samadhi is established, but I wonder now if it's because I think I'm just too absorbed by the jhana itself, or the samadhi itself, and I sort of let the image yeah. go, because I thought, okay, well, it's, yeah. it's just brought me what I wanted. Oh, actually. okay, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, but
1: this, so are saying, um, it, the image falls away into samadhi and you let it go because the samadhi is what you want.
2: Well, I didn't realize I was doing that. Yeah. I just thought it was like a natural thing that, like, the image just sort of goes away because, I don't know, it's not an erotic movement anymore,
1: Right, like, maybe, right. Um, I, I have more the feeling that a, a, as, it, as it unfolds more and more, you, you'll realize that you can, like um, sailing or something, you can kind of lean... Different ways and kind of guide it. Um, and uh, I mean, a li- little bit related to um, Suzanne's question, you know, Samadhi is great. I, I really, really value it, you know, and, um, and jhanas and all that. But, um, I can't, sorry, and I can't remember what I've said in talks, but if there's a lot of eros in a soul, that won't satisfy. It it, will satisfy, it was part of what, what we want, and won't be, but it's like there will be something that wants the image as well. Um, I mean, a jhana by definition is a non-bored state, but something in the soul in one's life will get, okay, that's enough, you know, that's not not enough, but it's like, I want, I want more soul making, I want more of the poetry. Yeah, so, so I I would keep both options open, you know, and some people have long periods of time when they're more leaning this way, Or that way other people um or as it unfolds you might just go back and forth more sort of regularly between the two does that yeah yeah yes it's both yeah
3: um so i'm very new to this uh i'll do the english thing and apologize for anything that's um not correct but you have planted some really beautiful seeds both of you and um i wanted to cross-pollinate a little bit with some things um, related to the body uh, and one of the things I think you said is that uh, image is primary and experience is secondary. Or image is primary. Uh, uh, yeah. So image is primary. And um, and was reflecting a little bit on some, of, some lines of research that have come out about the body. Um, one is in the area of connective tissue that talks about that. Our tissue is not inert, but it's always moving all the time, kind of in, in what has been called intelligent chaos. Um, <coughs> and then also, um, embryologists are starting to say that we never, lo- we don't lose the embryo. As adults, it's still present in our bodies, and that motion is primary and form, our shape, our body, the way we think about it, is, um, is secondary. So in thinking about fabrication, um, I, I have been hearing things like, the body doesn't have a soul, the body is a soul. And I'm wondering if part of the beauty of all of these exercises is a sort of, um, you talked about who, um, who is the soul making for? Um, could, could the fabrication and the soul making be part of stepping into a sort of, if there is one,
0: a soul of the body through through all all these many
3: threads, um, nature and the connection the tuness and um, yeah, I mean, just, there are times when I think in my, my experience here, it's just feeling like there's a moment where there's music you're stepping into, it's like there's a a process, and the body
1: is a process, not a finite thing, um, so I just want to check that out, and it's not super well formed at all. Um,
3: uh, I wouldn't be sure how to sum that up, um, uh, is it, is it? And it doesn't even have, I I
1: mean, it may not be the right... can I try Um, are you asking, like, w- whether instead of image being primary we could view body as being primary? Is that, is that part of what you're asking? Yes, or are, n- and are they different? Oh, okay, very good. Um, uh, okay, so Beau's asking, well, you, they, you just heard, and then the question was, are they different? <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> um, So, yeah, beautiful. Thank you very much. So, here's the thing. Um,
3: And and there's one, sorry, one tiny thread, which is that um, part of what we're doing here seems very devotional, Mm -hmm. like very bhakti in Mm -hmm. nature. Like, it's part of our devotional practice to do these things. I'm
1: wondering. yeah. Uh, so, um, and Bo's also saying that part of, <laughs> 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 part of what we're doing is very emotional, and uh, has bhakti in it, and that's part of it. Maybe what's the connection between that and the first part of the question? Okay, so <coughs> here's 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 how I I might frame it um, or think about it. Um, and we have Eros as human beings let's start so you can here's the thing if if um, everything is empty and any conceptual framework including the scientific cannot possess a a a claim to the singular truth of things you understand do people get so so (coughs) classical science fantastic you know wonderful Um, embryology and all, all this stuff brilliant you know um, it has wrapped up in that as a whole conceptual structure, way of thinking, assumptions, great, very fruitful. Is it the ultimate truth of things? Is it the singular truth? No. St- looking, starting from those premises and looking at things and asking questions from those premises unfolds certain experiences and truths. Starting from some other premise will, we'll, you, you understand? So what if we start, and we, so we could start anywhere, we could start where you started with the body. We could start with the idea that image is primary. But if you say, if someone asks me, is that an ultimate truth? I say, no, of course it's not an ultimate truth. We're pu- we, once you've seen something mm-hmm. about reality and about epistemology and about all that, you start to realize, oh, I participate in truth-making. And I participate in, in, in world creation and pers- perception <coughs> creation, if you like. And so I can... Um, we can just play with entertaining certain concepts and conceptual frameworks, and seeing what they what they open. To. Yeah, so we could start with the idea that body is primary, and and motion in the body, as you were alluding. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. We could start with the premise that body. Uh, body is not separate from soul. You could start with the idea that image is primary. And, and so when you say, this is primary, it's like already suggesting, what happens if, if we take that as a basic principle? Instead of, for example, my psychological history is primary, or, or whatever, or materiality is primary, all of which are fine um, as sort of starting angles that will then kind of give a different perspective on some kind of kaleidoscopic, not kaleidoscopic, but... Um, who remembers those disco balls that you used <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, um, <laughs> they kind of like, you can't, it's like reality kind of, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am really cool, by the way. <laughs> um, so, um, in case you're wondering. Um, uh, so, so okay, so we can start with Images Prime. We can start with what you said, absolutely. Each will unfold as... Now, we could start with Eros' primary. In a way, this retreat is kind of leaning in that direction. Or what happens if we just pick up the Eros thread and find out what Eros is through our experience and what opens from that? So a little bit, that's what we're doing on this retreat. Um, or you could start again with just... I think I tossed it out at some point. The soul love soul-making. This is my axiomatic proposition. The soul loves soul maker. What the hell do you mean? Okay, so I unpack what I mean. It ends up being a bit of a circular definition, but ends up being really fertile. So if I take, let's say we take Eros as primary. So so it's like, I, I, I have, wow. I have in my time, um, in my experience, I notice in my life where there's Eros. And wherever it moves towards, now that could be already the body. It could be materiality, it could be my lover, it could be the transcendent, or whatever, and I just trust that Eros, and I, and I investigate the experience of Eros, psychologically and phenomenologically, what it does and what it opens. <coughs> then I will find that um, it starts, as I said, it starts to kind of, e- everything gets subsumed in that. And uh, um, everything gets made s- sacred and and made kind of valid, if if you like. In so if I start with my body is just uh, uh, not ensouled Eventually, I will come to the through experience that the perception will open up that the body is soul. You understand? Now another person might start more from there. That's where their eros goes immediately. Another person is seems a million miles from there, somewhere they want to be unfabricated, they want to go beyond form, all, all that stuff. If we allow the Eros, and allow it, that fire to catch, um, it will eventually catch everything. It will eventually discover uh, more things, more facets, more sacrednesses. It will discover soul everywhere, it will create soul everywhere. You understand? So that in a way, there ends up being... Um, this unlimited kind of perspectives and unlimited soul making and unlimited en souling, and you say which is first it, just just follow your experience, follow your own unfolding and so if you start with this this um, there's both conception in what you're saying about the body, there's certainly personal experience. you have a felt um, experiential connection with body and bodies and the investigation of that and the experience of that and the understanding of that. there is eros there conceptually experientially soulfully for you if you do that then it will just it will go, go to other things someone else it's the other way around just making yeah so um, so it's, and then you end up with this like because you know I could have just cut all that and just said yes <laughs> <laughs> you're right and so is someone who says something else and so is something because of this there's something to me it's like quite radical sort of Um, I don't know what you'd call it like shaking up of the whole notion of truth and objective reality etc and just just again if we follow the the kind of thread of this retreat like we have this experience of eros if we we just name it we begin to then see what it does a bit more and then we say I'm going to trust this I follow it and then you start to see what what it does experientially erotically soulfully, psychologically philosophically yeah, all this, uh, conceptually, all of that. So it's like, it's all right, you know, it's all true. Does this make sense? And, and so t- the devotion is exactly connected with that, because the devotion where there's devotion, there's eros. Where there's eros, there's devotion. Again, this might not be so obvious at first. You feel into, let me explore my, 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 um, my experience of devotion, let me explore my experience of eros. Or as I said, just in the imaginal, <coughs> Here's an image, and you start to realize. As I hang out. I start to notice. Oh, there's devotion here. Oh, there's eros here. Um, and then I I trust that. And then that's how that threads into the other. I'm just following my devotion. The whole thing opens up conceptually, experientially, heartfully, soulfully, bod- physically, energetically. You understand? Know so those two parts you question are extremely related. The bhakti, the devotion, is it ends up being a kind of um, philosophical opener as well, as an experiential opener. Yeah? D- does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Um the uh, fact to be a philosophical opener? Well, just, wh- uh, just what I just said, the, the devotion is, where there's devotion, there's eros. Where there's eros, if we get interested in it and, and don't get in its way and allow it to do its things, its thing, it will instigate, inseminate uh, ignite that soul-making process, which starts changing my experience of things. So it changes my experience of body, of what my body is, as as a thing, as as this from the point of view of subject, from the point of view of expression. Everything it it, it gets a, the image, the sense, the experience, the felt sense, the ideation, and that's where the philosophy bit comes in. Um, this is what this is why um, soul-making is so significant. Because we're, we're, every dimension of the being, we're we're, we're experientially, um, un, un, it's got this expansion and this this. I, I know it. I taste it. And not only that, I know it in a way that's important to me. And and everything comes into support that ideation, that the conception, the philosophy, the psychology, the emotion, the energy, etc., etc. Do, does that? Yeah. Um. Uh, I I'm happy taking up. Yeah, okay, sure. Can I, can I ask a question? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Nix. I'll,
3: I'll
1: yeah, this okay. is from Nix. But does your bear have a name? Bear. Bear. <laughs> so, bear is asking. Yeah, so he's, he's enjoying your teachings. He thinks they're quite good. Would <laughs> 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 you like to justify your claim that there's no such thing as bear attention? Yeah. <laughs> I I I bow to his greater wisdom. (laughs) Sit at his feet. (laughs) Um, let's just have a bit of of quiet.